0: Um, and that it can be almost anything that um, that's on that vision border that I want um, takes longer than I think it should.
1: Nobody comes here to hide is a weekly podcast for the people who feel like they aren't seeing themselves or their current position represented in the media right now. The show features in-depth conversations with entrepreneurs, innovators, artists and creators where hopefully you get a peek into their brain and learn more about the impact they're going to make on this world. Today, I have with me Gregory Neesmith, founder of Underdog Stuff, a former colleague, Philly native. Hello.
0: Hello. It's good to be here.
1: Yay. Pew, pew, pew.
0: <laughs> yes, What indeed.
1: a delightful... I am I really would like... I think I want to be a Foley artist. <laughs> Based off of all of the ridiculous sound effects that I do in the middle of this podcast, I'm kind of like, maybe that was my true calling.
0: It's never too late.
1: It's never too late. No. You're absolutely correct about that. Um, can you give me and the listeners a little bit of background? Who's Gregory? What's he up to?
0: Who is Gregory? I am up to being back in my hometown of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I was originally... Uh, born in a small town called Upland, PA, right outside of Philly. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I spent a couple years in foster care. And then I always like to say my parents were also my angels. Henry and Hallie and to scoop me up and adopted me when I was around two years old. And then I would grow up in Philly, um, end up spending 20 plus years in the New York City area and in New York City and then recently returned back to Philly to finish something that was on my bucket list, which was uh, graduating from college. And I did that in May of this year. Woo. And now, yes, uh, it's been a long journey, but uh-huh. it's uh, that part's complete. And so now I'm here doing other things I love to do in the world, which is um, stuff related to business, stuff related to community, stuff related to media.
1: Mm-hmm. May I ask, um, what what was that gap decade or two <laughs> about? <laughs> Um. Uh, so,
0: so uh, I like to say that I declared early for the NBA uh, draft. Okay. <laughs> so I, I I went to public school here in Philly. Got into the Wharton School of Business. Showed up on the campus as a 17 year old freshman, and I never quite felt like I fit in here, and never felt. Mm-hmm quite felt prepared and I had an up and down relationship with Penn. I was kicked out at one point for academic self, got back in
1: mm-hmm. and in my
0: last year I got a job at a very good Fortune 100 company um, before my school time was up. I got the job and between my ego, between just never really feeling right here, I took the job and actually mm-hmm. kept it a secret that I didn't finish. And I would go on to work there for 16 uh, actually amazing years of, of doing good work in marketing and brand management, but uh, mm-hmm. also feeling like um, it was time for me to let that secret go and mm-hmm. go do some of the things that were on my bucket list, like start a radio show, start a business, uh, find my biological parents, uh return back to my home city of Philadelphia. And so in between Pin the first time and pin the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, I experienced a lot of different things in terms of business, entrepreneurship, uh, finding myself, um, connecting with other people, uh, doing a, a range of odd things here and there along the, the way. Uh, but I can actually say that I'm at home and at peace now. Oh, uh, yeah. And it feels good.
1: That's awesome. Um, you mentioned community work. And it's very clear from the moment I met you, you're like, you're repping Philly. Like you're always repping Philly. (laughs) Um, And so what, what, um, well, what draws you to Philly so much? Like, what are you in love with about it?
0: Um, I mean, it's home. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I think I've always had this thing around um, folks who've had the odds stacked against them. a lot of my brothers and sisters, whether it's my parents who grew up in South Carolina um, and up until they were like almost 20 years old, they couldn't go to Myrtle Beach in Charleston because of Jim okay. Crow and segregation, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think back to the stories about my mom talking about being a twofer in corporate America, being both a black woman and a woman. I think about some of my friends who I grew up with in Philly who were super talented, but got trapped into the uh to, to the classes that weren't for for students who potentially had a learning disability or something was off, when really it was probably just the school system was failing them, not that they weren't talented enough. So, I mean, I think I just have a, a connection here mostly to the people, to the struggle. Uh, I'm trying not to use the word underdog so it sounds so cliche, but folks <laughs> who um, have had the odds stacked against them, like I grew up with those people here. And mm-hmm. I think this city has a bit of that chip on its shoulder too when compared to the Bostons and the New Yorks and the DCs. And so it just feels like if I'm going to do the work that I like to do in the world, Mm -hmm. I might as well do it here with the people I feel like are my people. Mm -hmm.
1: That is really beautiful. Um, And it makes me a little jealous growing up, like moving around every three years, approximately I feel absolutely no connection to any geographical location except for maybe Jamaica just because that was like the one consistent place that we would go every year. Um, But even still, it's like, I go there, I'm not Jamaican enough, um, but I'm here and I'm certainly not American enough, but I'm also black. So there's already (laughs) that thing. Um, But it is a, it's a very interesting concept. It's something that I've uh, wanted always is to feel like some place is a home.
0: Yeah. I mean, to that point, uh I've never quite gone there in terms of like wanting to write a book about it, but I'm sure I'll do a podcast episode about it at some point, but mm-hmm. just the idea of like, what is home?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like it's such a, can be such a deep question of like, when do you feel at home? Yeah. Uh, so no, I, I feel you. and but, but to that point, I lived in Philly for the first 23 years of my life and still never felt at home and at peace.
1: Interesting.
0: So so I think so this idea of feeling at home, I don't think it's always necessarily been tied to the geography um, mm-hmm. as much as it is about, I think, being comfortable where we are on the inside, who are the people we're around. Um, A feeling and sense of home um, is not just a physical thing. Uh huh. So I've lived here twice, but only now do I feel at home and at peace.
1: Mm-hmm. And is that to do with finding your people or is that? is that because you went somewhere else and you are like, this is even less correct. (laughs) Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I think, I think, um, I'm more at home with myself. Mm -hmm. And so that makes me feel more at home, I guess, wherever I'm at. Um, and, and just for me. So for example, one of the things I do is, um, I help students learn about entrepreneurship, about college prep and, um, and financial literacy through this program I work with called Bridges to Well. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I've done work like that before in Newark, New Jersey and Harlem and Brooklyn, but it just hits a little different when you do it in the place where I went to that public, those public, I was in that public school system. Yeah. I know the underwhelming support they're getting from guidance counselors. If they, if if their school even has a guidance counselor. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's, I think part of it too is that I'm just more emotionally connected to it because I also experienced it too here. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy being in Newark, New Jersey, helping public school students there. Like, of course, like it's, it's amazing to help them too. But it's something a little different when it's um, the place where I have experience here too.
1: Mm-hmm. You can imagine the cafeteria and the like weird chocolate milk.
0: <laughs> yes, I can. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and hopping on the 23 trolley and the SEPTA buses. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, being in a city that's majority or plurality black. And yet, it's still being so hard here. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's an interesting point to bring up. That Philadelphia is majority black um, because of Penn being literally creating a bubble <laughs> where you would not know that. Like no. you could you could stay within these like ten by ten blocks that Penn has. Um, I don't know conglomerated and <laughs> you could, you could never realize that this city is actually mostly black people. Yes. And that, that, that was a rude awakening that I had my freshman year. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I feel like um, with some of the stuff I do even with Penn is that I feel like Penn needs to gets to, um, do its part as a, as a, as an entity or a citizen of this, of this city. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I do believe whenever it can use some of its resources uh, to help is a good thing. And even, but even with that being said, I'm not waiting on Penn to do that. So I get to take what I've learned here and uh, spread it amongst the city.
1: Mm -hmm. Let's talk more about bridges to wealth. What is it? Why are you a part of it?
0: Uh, it's uh, uh, a nonprofit that uh, started about seven years ago and recently became part of uh, University of Penn's Nutter Center for Community Partnerships. But Bridges of Wealth is on a mission to close the Wealth gap here in Philly. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if there's things I'm about, I mean, obviously, uh, race has been at the forefront um, for the mainstream <laughs> this, this summer. It's uh, been at the forefront for folks who've been Black uh, probably every decade. But with that said, uh, they're trying to close the wealth gap and so economic justice is something that I feel like I was into and and, and the fact that they were doing programming for seniors
2: mm-hmm. for
0: adults and for youth and I also needed and was looking for a, a part-time job while I was in school
2: and yeah. so it
0: just seemed like a perfect fit I'm like oh you're gonna be on a mission close the wealth gap in the city where I'm from I get to help students adults and seniors and I do some of that stuff in the past for free and like I also can like some money in my pocket while I'm doing good in the world. It just mm-hmm. seemed like a no brainer for me. And um, so I helped them with their high school programming. And then also uh, with their first ever podcast and blog series.
1: That's really cool. Um, hmm, I have like several questions. So I'm trying to figure out where to go first. <laughs>
2: it's all good.
1: Um, what has been the most rewarding part of working there? like if you have one story or like one aspect of it?
0: Uh, I would say the most rewarding part. So this summer, Mm -hmm. British Wolf had its second annual uh, summer business accelerator program. So for high school students and middle school students who want to work on a business project, they will get support from Penn mentors along with Penn professors. And they will work on a business idea, put a pitch together. And then folks from a panel of judges from FS Investments, a couple of the places will judge them and some people get awards, all the stuff. So mm-hmm. the the thing that was cool about that is that this summer, you know, there's a pandemic going on. I heard, yes. <laughs> yeah, we've all heard. And we had to do it 100% remote. Mm-hmm. So making sure the students had access to Chromebooks and things like that. And, and the fact that they were working together in teams, but in some cases where they didn't even know each other until the program started. And... So the thing that was cool about that, they got paid, they learned about financial literacy, they learned about business and uh, college prep. But the cool thing that made it the most enjoyable was at the pitch competition, nine teams presented, Mm -hmm. uh, one middle school and eight uh, high school uh, teams. And the presentations were so good that FS Investments surprised folks. And at the end... They highlighted like three of the nine, and you're thinking, like, "Oh, those are gonna be the three to get the prizes." But they were so well done that they um, awarded funding to all nine.
1: That's incredible.
0: And so, literally, the next day, I got to meet one of the teams that I directly mentor, and I said to them, "I go, I've been trying to do this business thing for a long time, and I've never been an award-winning entrepreneur." <laughs> <laughs> and so, one of the most memorable moments was that these students, with all the stuff going on around them in their mm-hmm. personal lives, with their family, with the city. That they would dedicate time to learn about business, financial literacy, and and um, financial literacy and college prep, and then in the end pull off amazing presentations better than some I've seen from professionals and from college students, and then get rewarded with that with actual funding was amazing. So I got to work with award-winning seventh um, through twelfth grader entrepreneurs this summer. And that is amazing. And they did it all virtually. And as we know, there's companies that are still trying to figure out how to do virtual work and they did it. Definitely. Yes.
1: Wow. That's awesome. It's really cool. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, making a radio show was, is on your b- bucket list. So what draws you to that medium?
0: I, I think there's something about it that it's um, for one, I just remember growing up that my parents listened to a lot of radio mm-hmm. and, uh, late at night when I was supposed to be asleep and I didn't have a TV in my room, I did have a radio and I would <laughs> listen to the radio. Yeah. And I just thought it was something so cool about how accessible it is and the ability to like have everybody's voice be heard. Mm. Because while there's the host, people can call in mm-hmm. and you can be anybody in the world and say your comment or question or or gripe, and so to me it's one of the uh, few mediums that's open to all, and yet can be heard by a lot of people too,
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: and so I just wanted to be part of the conversation, and sometimes that's asking questions, sometimes that's saying uh, my thoughts, and sometimes it's a little bit of both, or it's featuring other people, but I I think there's something about the access and being heard about it that that I love, and you can educate people, you can entertain people, you can inform people, Um, so I just think it's one of the best mediums uh, for connection.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What What has the process been thus far for creating your show?
0: Um, I think the number one process was was getting over the hump of like, does my do I even, does my voice even matter? Mm-hmm. Um, so literally. Since I was 10 years old, I always wanted a radio show. <laughs> and it took me decades to get up the courage to to pick up a mic. Because in the end, it's actually not that hard to have a radio show.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, literally, I talked to a, a two friends of mine back in 2015. We were like, oh, we should start a show. We gave ourselves a three-month deadline. Mm-hmm. And we literally just made up something. We called it the Dudes of Disruption. Um, we one of my friends knew a guy who had an internet radio station we paid to get on air time and then guess what i was a internet radio show host yeah <laughs> like just that quick and then if you keep doing it every week then guess what you are you're a, a internet radio show host and then eventually once you have a show then we pitched to this community radio station uh whcr 90.3 FM, the voice of harlem and then they said yes because we were doing a show and we had like proof of doing it and concept and then next thing you know i was a radio host and I did a WRD here in Philly. I was an intern for this 25-year-old, actually. Their, their show was called The Word Up Show on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it was for Black millennials to talk Black culture, politics, and sports. And I was like, hey, I want to get more radio experience. So I actually volunteered to be an intern. And so I'm live tweeting for this 25-year-old. I'm answering phone calls and doing all this stuff so I could like, be on a for-profit radio station. Yeah. And uh, the cool thing is he went on vacation a couple of weeks in, and he was like, hey, can you host the show for us? Because we don't want to have dead air or repeats for two straight weeks. Right. And I was like, you want me to host the show? <laughs> and, and, I, and he went to Temple Undergrad He had journalism, all that stuff. And so he knew countless people who were like probably more qualified to do it. And I said, why'd you let me host the show? And he goes, well, when I needed help on the show, nobody else was helping me do live <laughs> tweets and produce the show. You were, so you get to host the show. Yeah. Um, and we would go on to become great friends, and I would actually become a contributor to one of his eventual shows as we get. But that's how I got the radio. The process was literally getting over the fear of being on radio and that I had mm-hmm. something to say. And then doing the work, like reading books about how to do interviews, um, getting experience and getting logging hours on air, doing two weekly shows for like, two years in two different cities every week, creating content, producing, all that stuff, learn how to work the board. So just doing it, learning, and yeah, that's some of the process.
1: Mm-hmm. So a couple of things I want to touch on. This three-month deadline, what were you doing in those three months? Was that like producing the first show or like coming up with concept to distribution? What was going on?
0: Uh, We literally, so I was uh, in a a leadership development group. And so Mm -hmm. we were going around doing our New Year's resolutions. And I said that one of the things I wanted to do was finally start a radio show.
2: Mm -hmm. When we got
0: around to one of the uh, participants, he said he had always wanted to start a radio show too. So literally everybody was like, well, y'all should start one together. And so so we said by March of uh, 2015, because it was the end of 14, we said we'll have a show. Mm -hmm. So the process was, what's the name of the show? Mm -hmm. What was the show going to be about? Who was it going to be for? And we were like, hey, we're in this leadership group. It's like a men's group thing. Maybe we'll do something about like how men can like disrupt their automatic or be better in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And like what does it mean to be a man in 2015? And so we we're like, okay, we'll do that and like we'll call it disruptive dudes. And my friend was like, no, nah, that sounds a little weird. Call it dudes of disruption. We we're like, okay. Then we found the internet radio thing and then we said, oh, what would be the five rules of disruption? And so we're like, oh, you should like be aware, um, plan with the end in mind. And so we made up some rules, and then we're like, oh, each one of those rules can be an episode. And then we just uh, figured out what the segments would be. And mm-hmm. then we started making the show. We had segments. We had some overall themes. We knew what time it was going to be every week, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. at this location at 72nd. Uh, and I uh, forget the cross street in, uh, in the Upper West Side. And um, you know, get the hosting site for the podcast because once it would go live, we will record it, then post a podcast and uh-huh. just did some of that stuff and just started.
1: Yeah. So when without this group, do you think you would have done a radio show in
0: 2015? No. Interesting. No. So it's 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 also the power of um partnership. Uh-huh. Right? Because I've been wanting to do something for a long time and didn't do it until I had somebody to like partner with me to do it. Mm. And then eventually that got me over the hump. And then two years later I would then launch my own show. But I was only able to then launch my own show because I had been doing a show before. Right. Uh, But but that being said, I was still nervous. Um, I was the you know they have like the A host and the B host. I was like the B-host, I was the the sidekick. So I would produce everything, but I wasn't the lead host. I didn't do the opening monologue, all that stuff. So there was still me even getting over the hump of like, could I even be the lead host on a show? Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I don't think I would have had a show in 2015. And I definitely wouldn't have then had my own show by the end of 2016 if it wasn't for support
2: mm-hmm. and
0: partnership. And having some people who were going to be like, you guys said you were going to do it. You didn't do it.
1: Right. It's. No, I, it's
0: really
1: I think positive peer pressure is really powerful, and wow, that's a lot of peas. Oh, I don't have a pop filter.
0: <laughs> powerful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hilarious, um, but yeah, it's something that I think is slightly underutilized, or just trying to use. Um, well, it's descriptive norms, but peer pressure um in a positive way, you know, instead of say no to drugs, which you should also maybe do, whatever. Why aren't we talking about like uh say yes to I don't know, your dreams. Listen, I don't make the t shirts.
0: <laughs> I, 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 I do though. So maybe I'll make one with uh, something about dreams. Unlimited dreams.
1: <laughs> Unlimited dreams. Um uh ooh okay that's very interesting. I I want to dig more into fear. What is your relationship with fear right now versus three years ago?
0: Um, that I'm more aware of my fear now, and that is at times frustrating.
1: Mm. Go on.
0: Um, what's the saying that uh, ignorance is bliss? Oh, yes. So... <laughs> So it's like once, it's tough because I now know that I can have a fear for decades Mm -hmm. about does my voice matter, for example, or am I special enough or lovable enough to have my own show and then get over that fear? Mm -hmm. And then fast forward to three years later, and now I'm like having a fear of, can I launch this business? Is anyone going to buy this t-shirt? Um, Or join my investment group, or, oh, I want to relaunch my show, but now, like, will it work out? What if it doesn't? I've done b- well before. Or will I flop this time? Like, so mm-hmm. I think just being more aware of the fear is a bit more frustrating, but yet at the end of the day, right, it's it's still more empowering to know that I know at a certain point the things that I want will grow taller than the fear. mm. And so that's the thing I've learned over the years is that it's not about will the fear go away. Mm-hmm. It's more about oh, what's getting in my way for my want or desire to be taller than the fear?
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. I'm I'm still nervous. I'm still nervous now when I before I go on air. I'm mm-hmm. still nervous now before I like submit a pitch deck to Jeffrey Ravin and the folks and like they critique it. I, but. It's like, oh, there's people who are waiting on this idea to make a mark. Oh, there's people like, when are you coming back with your show? Or like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to sleep well if I don't launch, relaunch this show. Mm. And so then all of a sudden I'm now aware, like, oh, okay, the 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 what the call is getting taller than the fear. The fear is like step study, the study, it's always there for me at least. But yeah, it's just a matter of there's times when I go up and down in terms of how tall my desire is to the feet.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Again, many questions (laughs) coming out of this. What are some ways for yourself that you've been able to accelerate the growth of the desire?
0: Um, I think, so one is when I'm at my best is Mm -hmm. taking time to take in how I'm feeling. Okay. Meaning if I sit still long enough, am I like mad at myself? Am I like not happy? Am I not feeling self-expressed? Like, can I sit long enough to really get in touch with like, man, this sucks not moving forward. Yeah. And when I take enough time to do that, that can be one of the, the things that sparks me into action, which is like, Man, I'm just not happy.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: another way is when I take enough time to really sit with what the idea is, and when I get that feeling like, "Oh, this 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 is a good idea." Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, we gotta. <laughs> I don't, even, I, don't even wanna, I don't even need to get validation from other people. Like, <laughs> I just think this is a great idea. I'm, I'm going. I don't care if people don't want unlimited black magic teacher. I like it. I'm, I'm going to make one for the collection. Or I don't really care if people aren't sure if people want to invest in the city where they're from. I'm just going to go do it. Uh, and so I don't care if people don't like the name Underdog Stuff and they don't know what stuff means, because I think it's great. And so mm-hmm. when I get really into an idea that also can move me it. and then lastly, I think sometimes something bad happened.
2: Mm.
0: Right, a no mm-hmm. can sometimes get me over fear because I'm like, oh, you said no, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, well, we gonna, I'm gonna get this yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And sometimes that is the trigger to go past the fear, just because I'm pissed,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and something bad happened, yeah. or something tragic can happen. So, right, I just think that for me, sometimes a bad experience. Or sometimes I get like a great idea where I'm just feeling it, and it's like forget fear. And or um, I sit here long enough going, I'm unhappy that I haven't done a radio show in three months.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And so I I guess I better go do one, no matter what the fear is.
1: Mm -hmm. It's it's very interesting because I'm not hearing you're not shrinking this fear. It's not about shrinking the fear. It's that at some point, uh, your body or your brain is like. What are we doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what, what what's going on here?
0: Yeah, what's going on? Or to the thing that's in the back of me, my vision board is like, or it's like, yo, why aren't you doing the things on your vision board? Yeah. Like I had the epiphany the, the other day. I was like, you know what? I'm happiest when I'm doing something related to media. When I'm working on my business, and um, and it's like, why why don't I just like go back to doing a weekly show again? Like, why don't I just keep working on my business idea. I just, just like, why am I making life so hard on myself? Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I, I very much relate to, um, not being able to sleep (laughs) when you're not executing. That's what happened with my, with my, um, it's not my last show by the time that this comes out, but (laughs) the show that you mentioned, um, where I was recording at 4am, like I just couldn't sleep because I, I didn't have an episode to put out. Yeah. Um, and I was like, "Well, this is unacceptable."
0: <laughs> yes, and yeah. you and I think you mentioned you don't always do solo episodes, but it's like you gonna let that stop you,
1: right? Or you right. just gonna
0: stay up or all night, or are you gonna do your show and then go get, get a nap?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> indeed.
0: And consistency it, is a big deal too. So I appreciate that you uh, rung it.
1: Well, I'm doing my best. I made a pact with a, a more logical more hopeful version of myself that I would put out 52 episodes over the course of 52 weeks, um, unless I died or was in a coma.
0: And- no, hey, it's possible. I've been there. Um, when I launched my show in November, 2016, it was every week. Um, and I did it at a community radio station so that I would also have some partnership, right. Where someone is counting on me to show up every time, but mm-hmm. I did a hundred shows um, in about a hundred and, five weeks, 106 weeks, you know, mm-hmm. with the exception of sometimes the building was closed literally because it was a holiday or tram. but yeah, right. I've a, i have I know. Yeah. Get in and get it. Bring it every week, even when weeks when you don't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you have something.
1: Exactly. I I also, I'm, I'm liking this concept or I'm intrigued by this concept of for you, a partner or someone who's depending on it is important. And so, Uh, that brings me kind of to this, this question of audience. Okay. There's a, there's a bit of a rhetoric where what we're hearing a lot, we collective, we, whatever, (laughs) Um, what we're hearing a lot is I want to grow. I want a bigger audience. I want, I want, I want like, whatever, you know, it's about getting bigger. And for me, I have absolutely fallen into that trap but something that comes to me in waves. There is at least one person who's listening to to all of my podcasts, and that is my auntie Erica.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Auntie Erica. We all need Auntie Erica.
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's folding her laundry, listening to this episode right now. You know, I, appreciate
2: I mean, <laughs>
1: <you>. <laughs> <laughs> there's also, I mean, there's other people, right, who I think are listening. R- like quite consistently and why I guess I'm getting at how do we as entrepreneurs artists creators how do we continuously remind ourselves that that one person is not something to take for granted
0: yeah oh man the audience thing um, i think so i think you said we which is which is which is good I'm, i think i think i'm feeling something about the weed you just said so mm-hmm. when i think about me versus we okay there's a part of me that does my show for me right i enjoy it there's mm-hmm. something I get out of. I love the research about it. I'm learning about people in the world. I, I enjoy, I've always this dream of being on radio or media. So, but when it's just me, it can be a little flat. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's just about the audience, I mean, potentially you could end up doing shows that you're not even that into.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so when things are about we, like everybody's included, right? So right. I think when I'm, when I'm I'm when I'm thinking about the we, it's like, oh. This show is going to be good for me and that person, mm-hmm. and sometimes that person can be a million people. That person can be one person. It could be five million. Also, people got stuff to do in the world. Sometimes that right. week they had other things to do. Right. So, but but I think whenever I know that it's um it's 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 bigger than just me. That's enough to know that um, it's worth doing because I am and they are getting something out of it mm-hmm. and. I just—you never know how many people are included in the we, but but we is also a good place to like be at.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it took me a while to realize this: that if nothing's getting produced, there's nothing for us to to like experience together.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so, yeah, I just. I just keep thinking about like why I'm doing it is for myself and for the other, for the audience. And it doesn't really matter so much how big it is, as long as like we're enjoying the, the ride together.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm I'm going to ask you something and I do not want you to take it as a, a negative affront um, because I think it's a, a universal problem, but <laughs> I really, I'm like, I'm very concerned about asking this question, but it's really like, it's not just you. Okay. Okay. Um, Why aren't you enough for yourself when it comes to producing things um, or getting over your fear?
0: Does that make sense? Say it one more time.
1: Why aren't you, yourself or your happiness, like, why isn't that enough to, to take you from idea to action?
0: Why am I not enough to take myself from idea to action? Um, I mean, I, I guess sometimes I am. Uh-huh. But um, I think when I'm producing stuff where I want it to be for more than just me, then I do... Want to know that other people are getting something out of it too mhm um, and I guess sometimes it's hard for me to draw the line between when am I just doing something because I want to do it and when am I doing something when I want it to be for more than just myself Mhm mhm um and that can be hard sometimes, I and mean, I guess I can make the case I could do it all just for myself,
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, I, to explain more of like where that question is coming from, I feel like people are willing to do more for others than they are for themselves. Um, So people are willing to go the extra mile in a project when there's someone else involved in that project. And part of that makes sense to me. Because it's yeah. some sort of external factor. But another part of it, I'm, I'm questioning sort of, why is it that as people, and this is not necessarily everyone has this, but why is it that as people, we care less about something if we're the only one involved? Or like, okay, uh, to really generalize it, why is the house cleaner when you live with someone than when you live with yourself? Does that make sense?
0: It does, but but I think if I if I think back to um, something I read once, where it said like, what makes people happy Mm -hmm. is um, are we in good health? Do we have positive thoughts, and do we feel like we belong?
2: Mm. Um,
0: And so, I could be happy doing a show with the YouTube live going, and nobody lip watching, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just. I always want to show this live. I got a show. This is amazing. But as soon as one or two people jump on, Mm -hmm. I experience it differently. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
0: think I get some of that piece of the belonging of the three pillars of like what they say makes us happy. Mm -hmm. And so I'm likely more likely to like, oh, maybe I'll come back and do it next week because there were some people who were watching because I feel like I also now belong I feel validated I feel loved I feel sp- and so now I'm happy I got a show and I'm happy that someone else is happy that I have a show mm-hmm. and so I think um, it can be deflating for me personally to do something where no one is seems to be getting any value out of it
2: mm-hmm.
0: and and that can make me like maybe you know, question, like, is that the right place to place my energy? Especially since it's something that's made to be interactive, as opposed to me working out, I'm not doing that for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I think that it's, it's a bit of, I want some validation. Maybe I want to feel special. Maybe there there's, I don't want to let other people down. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a tough thing, right? Cause when I'm at my best or, or we're at our best, we do stuff because it's also good for us.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm I but guess. Okay. Well. Well, I was going to say, I guess that I have seen in myself previously that I'm more willing to let myself down than to let someone else down. And yeah. that is a tendency that I question. And that is also a tendency that I see in many people around me. And it's like, that's like i literally have to question sort of like why don't i value my own opinion of myself <laughs> right or like maybe that's maybe that's taking it like maybe that's jumping but like why why aren't i worth performing for just me alone
0: yeah i mean i think i think it can be both though
1: mm-hmm.
0: um because i've also like the first time I, I think back to when I started my own show, not the one with the other friends, but my, my mm-hmm. own show. I did that for me,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and I and the reason why now I think back to that, I didn't even you know how you were told to like know who your audience is and things like that. Yeah, I didn't have. If you would have asked me in 2016 when I started my show, like who's your audience? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just. I just always wanted a radio show, (laughs) so I'm -hmm. I'm calling under all stuff, and they let me come in every week. I'm gonna talk about the stuff I want to talk about. I'm gonna use a lot of words, and I'm just gonna have a blast because I've been wanting to do this since I was Mm ten. And so I think that there's times when I do stuff that it's for me without caring about anything that other people think, and then there's times when I do care because because I'm like I'm a human being, right? And Mm -hmm. and so um, I can be inspired by Owens doing something being expected from other people for me. And sometimes it can be for myself. And sometimes I let myself down, I let them down. Like, I, I don't, I don't know if it says like either or all the time.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Um, circling back a little earlier, you were talking about you're more aware of your fear and you said something else about awareness and I'm interested one, what made you more aware of the fear? And two, how do you cultivate self-awareness in general?
0: Um, so part of it is I, I got um, to do a lot of like leadership training. Um, mm-hmm. I also, um, once I left my corporate job, I explored a, a whole bunch of gigs. So one of the things I did is I went to um, school for um, to become a, professional, a certified professional coach. Mm-hmm. So part of that training is also Field work of being coach, but also coaching other people and, and learning about the, us as human beings. And so I, I went, I've done, I guess, a lot of work related to getting to know myself and getting to know people. And and so I've just become more aware of um of who I'm being and then how I'm feeling. And what actions am I taking or not taking because of those thoughts and those feelings? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think uh, I now take enough time to to sit and go, oh, why did I not speak up in that meeting? Or like, oh, why did I not tell my parents this? So why? Like, I, I'm more, I'm more in tune with asking myself a lot of questions as to like, well, why didn't I do that thing that's on that vision board? Or why have not taken the action? So I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm more aware of when I'm doing the things I want and don't want, how I'm being, things like that. Hmm. A lot of work seeing therapists, like I coaching, like just a lot of work.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I wish I could say it. I woke up and did it, but no, it's been years and years of, of continuing to work and I still continue to work on it.
1: Cool. Oh, that reminds me. So this vision board, I think one of the things that I'm learning a lot in this past year is that reminders are actually perhaps the most um, useful thing when it comes to achieving anything.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, and so what, what else are you reminding yourself about?
0: Ah. Uh. I'm reminding myself that uh I should get my finances in order after finishing school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reminding myself that it takes longer than I want it to. Mm-hmm. Um and that it can be almost anything that um that's on that vision border that I want um takes longer than I think it should. Mm. And um, and that's probably the most important reminder. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that uh, remind myself that um, I have to put in the hours. And so scheduling time to do certain things, figuring out what the priorities are for the week, um, mm-hmm. that type of stuff.
1: Cool. Cacao. Now it's time for the seedling round.
0: <laughs> the what round?
1: The seedling round. Okay. Yes. Where. Short questions lead to tasty answers.
0: Oh, I love it.
2: <laughs> <Thanks>. That's <laughs> spicy. <suspicious. laughs>
1: um, how do you measure time?
0: Um, I how do I measure time? I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. <laughs> um, I measure time. <laughs> Haphazardly, <laughs> <laughs> it, it varies. I, I I don't have a plan for how I measure time, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that is both a gift and a curse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. Because also I don't know how long time I don't know how long things are supposed to take. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like I don't know, oh, should I be falling in love after 2 months or not? Mm-hmm. Should I have a national radio show after 6 years or not? Like I don't I don't measure time. I
2: don't know how, I measure
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> how do you measure time? <laughs>
1: um through projects. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I have no idea how long anything's supposed to take.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. In the internet world and instant gratification, some things take long. Sometimes I, I, I don't. I, I don't know how to measure time. Yeah, um, I think in the end, one of the things I'm always reminded of is uh, whenever the 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 more I'm being myself, mm-hmm. the better the time goes.
1: Hmm. Mm. And faster or just better?
0: Just better, because then in a way, time doesn't really matter as much.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. very interesting what since january um has driven growth
0: for you finishing something that i, I started um decades ago finishing graduating from college mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: um because of, I, I remember typing a, 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 a update of a, a social media post the day i finished the last day of classes and literally crying while I was typing the post mm-hmm.
2: um,
0: because I knew that I was a different person this time around. Um, and so, and so I, I, I was able to reflect on the growth that's happened um, in my time from being here the first time to this time coming back by choice. Mm-hmm. And while Penn and Warden hadn't changed much, it didn't matter because I had changed.
1: Mm-hmm. What does underdog stuff mean to you?
0: Uh, it means an opportunity for us to rediscover our special stuff. Mm-hmm. And it means um, collectively resetting our well-being and our wealth.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cacao. <laughs> Thus ends the <laughs> seedling round. Um, I did mean to ask earlier, but like, what? what is this business idea? What is under stuff?
0: Uh, It's still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But in the end, uh, when I'm being my most bold self, uh, it is um, about capital. It's about content and it's about clothing. And the capital piece is how do we help people who are savers become first time investors um, Mm -hmm. and entrepreneurs in the communities that they know best. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an opportunity for us to build wealth together. Um, and make uh, things like that more accessible. So that's one piece. The content piece is creating um, content that helps folks reset their well-being and wealth and is for people who are, you know, on the journey of navigating community culture and capital. And then the clothing stuff is just because I enjoy being creative. And sometimes mm-hmm. for me, uh, making things is kind of cool. And I grew up playing a lot of sports. And so, you know, you get a shoe deal or uh, uh, things like that. So I just think that uh, underdogs should be able to, Wear some clothes uh, that express uh, what they're going through and how they're feeling, and mm-hmm. so that's what Underdog stuff is about—just helping folks reset their well-being and wealth, and doing it together.
1: Mm-hmm. And what what is keeping you going through like literal uncertainty? <laughs> um,
0: because I want it, and people want it.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is your greatest ambition in your entire life?
0: <laughs> ambition my entire life is to be um, the point guard on a, on a winning team mm. um, and to say that we uh, all enjoyed it together. Um, and I think also to eventually. I have a family.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the question of the week?
0: Why don't I just take action this week?
1: Mm. Why don't I just take action this week? Great. Thank you.
0: Thank, Thank you. you very
1: much. <laughs> um, where can the people find you?
0: Uh, they can go to Gregory mm-hmm. or underdog underdog And on there they'll find all my social media links and a lot of stuff I'm up to. And yeah, those are the two best ways.
1: Kneesmith mm-hmm. smelled, sp- smelt <laughs> spelled N E S M I T H. Yes. Yes. Great. Thank you so much for being on the show. A hoot and a holler as per usual. <laughs>
0: Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I look forward to hearing this episode and the uh, other episodes that come. You you on the gr- you on the grind right every week?
1: I'm literally on the grind. Yes.
0: <laughs> very cool. And, and so you got only 40 more to go to get the 52.
1: Um. Yeah. Oh, a little bit less. Okay. Like 38, I think.
2: Okay. do it. <laughs>
1: I'm doing it. The other day, it's funny because that that episode, the solo episode. um, Was actually my thirteenth, which is like a full quarter.
2: Yes, yes. And so I was kind of like,
1: yeah, I I was like, wait, the symbolism, the like coincidental symbolism of pushing myself to put out this, yeah. So anyhow,
0: you (laughs) won complete.
1: (laughs) It's done. Well, yes, thank you. (laughs) Cool.
0: No, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, Thank you very much.
1: Hello. Welcome to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate you. I hope that you got something out of this. And if you learned something, if you laughed, if you even just like my energy, please rate, review, subscribe, and share this with your friends. That will really help for this podcast and this community to grow. That helps me get more guests. And it means I can give you more of this delicious content. Much love, Athena Sayaka.